Hello, everyone. Today, we wade deep into the underworld of ancient Greece with the god of death and the one man who was never supposed to meet him. This is Breakfast with Gilgamesh. Most children from places in Europe and North America grow up with the stories of the ancient Grecian legends. Greek culture was extremely formative to the structures, philosophies, and beliefs of modern-day so-called Western societies. The religion of the Greeks has been an object of curiosity and fascination to the world at large for centuries. Its metaphors, characters, and lessons are baked into our languages and cultures. The first gods most children in this part of the world know about, besides the god of Abraham, are Zeus, Athena, Poseidon, and Apollo. We name everything from planets to sports teams to deadly viruses after the characters within the Grecian canon. There is a long and storied history of fiction set within the realm of pre-established stories. More than recitations or interpretations of known myths, these stories suppose events created whole cloth by the author using established figures within a canon. Though much of modern anthology and mythology as written seeks to create a clear picture of what ancient peoples believed and the root of their cultural storytelling traditions, the thrust of this podcast project has always been to embrace the idea that interpretation by the teller is paramount, that a canon set in stone can only crumble into ruin, while a living canon, fertilized by the lived experience of each new storyteller, allows these oldest of our stories to breathe and grow with each passing generation of tellers and listeners. In that spirit, in the height of the global pandemic of 2020, I wrote a short story called Thanatos and Troy. This story would be one of the seeds that germinated into Breakfast with Gilgamesh. In my isolation, I retreated to my bookshelf, as I often do in times of strife. I reread Homer's Iliad, and Edith Hamilton's mythology. As an act of comfort, I immersed myself in the stories of ancient Greece, which had preoccupied my every waking moment as a young boy. I tried to capture some of the spark of imagination which these stories nurtured in me as a child, to find again my boyhood longing to tell stories. The urge to create struck, and the story you're about to hear emerged. Very few of the events in what follows are part of any story in Greek mythology, but this kind of thing is nothing new. Authors, musicians, poets, filmmakers, and game designers the world over regularly and liberally build new ideas with or on top of established storytelling traditions. There are thousands of pieces of media which color our understanding of the religion of the ancient Greeks and keep its characters alive, as well as in the collective consciousness. From Jack Kirby to Ray Harryhausen to Madeline Miller and Greg Kasavin, this long-dead religion is alive and well in the modern day. With that in mind, I've enlisted a little help for this episode. You'll hear my story as read by my good friend, the poet, game narrative developer, community manager, and voice actor, Sid Lazarus. You'll also see artwork created to accompany this story by the incredible illustrator Sam Beck, who also designed the logo for this podcast project. Now, let's begin. Thanatos and Troy, by Z.K. Leverton, narrated by Sid Lazarus, with art by Sam Beck.
Troy burned in the night sky. The greatest wall in all the mortal kingdoms fell sometime in the night, and the Myrmidons were the first of the rubble in their black armor. I had watched this place with much interest, coming and going as the years dripped along, collecting old men from their bedchambers and listening to the winged carries cackle as they gathered the souls of men who in their last breath prayed first to Ares, then to Athena, then to me. It was not my place to take those men. I am the god of peaceful death. The carries were cruel, but their role in this war was theirs. Many days before this night, my brother, Hypnos and I, had taken the great warrior Serpidon's remains home as a favor to his father, great Zeus. I watched the Sky Father clutch his beard in his fist as that boy's flesh gave way to a sword of Pythia. War is not my purview, but when old men meet me and their feeble bargains begin to spill out, their pleas for mercy, I often hear the stories of fathers whose sons were taken by the Cares on some battlefield or another. Zeus has resigned this son to his fate. What I knew of war was that this one was different. Tonight I was drawn to mighty Troy as it screamed in agony and surprise. The armies of Pythia and Ithaca and Mycenae slithered through the streets like smoke, filling every space with choking death. I could not have imagined why I was here, what peaceful death could possibly be found on such a night. I thought perhaps I was drawn here on ceremony. After all, this war had divided the gods, set them to arguing and challenging one another in the tedious and capricious ways they have always bickered over the lives of mortals. I knew much of these quarrels, because they always ended with me or the Cares. I could feel the pull, drawing me deeper into the city, the black wings of my sisters crackling the air around every alleyway and sewer. I walked on, watching infants being dashed into cobblestones and their mothers gutted like animals. I watched men beg for their lives, reach out to me with blood-slick hands, and gasp as they caught a glimpse of my face before my sisters took them. Suddenly, I saw a familiar and brilliant glow down a long street. I followed that light to a courtyard strewn with dead men, their souls long thrust down to Tartarus, arrow and spearhead and dull chip blades stuck in the muck of their bodies like the branches of a tree. There, bathed in that glow which he could not seem to see, was Pyrasus, saved from fire. I recognized the ease in which he brought men to their ends, and I recognized Chiron's training. The old centaur told me that of all the heroes he trained, this was the greatest of them, greater even than Heracles. I thought of what I told him then, that it was the fate of all heroes to fall, and if this Greek was the greatest of them, that his fall would be the greatest. I noticed that his armor was Hephaestus's work. It gleamed brilliantly in the unnatural light I followed here as he pranced over one foe to stab another. He broke the spear he used to kill one man off in his ribs, to thrust the jagged tip into the throat of another. He was magnificent. To kill a man is harder than it might at first seem. There is something in mortals that sickens them about the idea, 
some inherent connection to the other that finds loosing a soul from its vessel repellent. Blood dried on his bared teeth, and his eyes were so enrapturing, so bright, and full of a cool and resolved hatred. He seemed, for a moment, to notice me watching. I smiled at him, and he whipped around to put his back to me, as if to deny me of all the gods. A care swooped down from the shadows of the night sky and gorged itself on the throat of a fresh kill. I walked past her and toward the light that had drawn me here this night. I knew it well. I savored each moment in its warmth, though I would never admit it to him. Apollo stood high on a tall precipice at the edge of the courtyard. He was glaring with that wrathful, burning anger I knew him so well for. His gaze turned to notice me, and he grinned. You came! I knew you would. I come where I am drawn, Delian. Troy is falling. Your temple is sacked. I know these things. Then why do you keep me here, Apollo? I have done my duty for your father. Tonight belongs to the Cares, not to me. Ah, but this one... Apollo pointed to Pyrasus, and from the tip of his finger came a light, which I watched fall from his hand like a droplet of water and tumble to the tip of an arrow. Paris, the prince of Troy, who stole away with Queen Helen and began this war of wars, stood there just below Apollo, with a bow drawn at the warrior in the courtyard. He let fly the arrow tipped with Apollo's light, and it screamed through the cool night air, lighting it ablaze in a streak of white heat. I whirled around and saw the arrow plunge into the warrior's foot. He froze as each of his muscles seized at once. I turned to Apollo, and he laughed at the confused look on my face. I've done it, said Paris, stunned. I've killed great Achilles! The Cares froze, watching Achilles fall to his knee and clench his hands at his wounded foot. This injury would be a week in the medical tent to any soldier, and I wondered at how Pyrasus, Achilles, the greatest of all men, the invincible warrior bathed in the river Styx, could come to be in such agony. None of the Cares dared approach him as he died. His body seemed all at once to loosen and collapse on the courtyard ground in a puddle of other men's blood. Apollo was gone now. His light had given way to penetrating darkness that enchanted the night with a sense of rare calm. The Trojan War was over, and all its heroes were dead. I approached Pyrasus and called him by name. Who are you? A question I was used to. A question most men knew the moment they asked it, but not this one. Even standing there above his own corpse, he could not fathom what had happened to him. I am the oldest friend to mortal men. I am a cold hand in the darkness. I am inevitable. I am that which every king, every warrior, every crawling thing must meet. He was silent for a moment considering this answer. I could tell that he understood, and there seemed to radiate a resignation I knew only in those who are released from the clutches of some illness or disease. 
His eyes were sad now. Distant. Not the burning stars they were a moment ago. Then the prophecy is fulfilled. So it would seem. I killed Hector myself. I knew the price of doing it. I knew that if he died, I was prophesied to follow him. But... But? My mother, she made me immortal. I thought... And yet? And yet? Where will I go? I looked up and around us at the carries, all crouched in the darkness, watching with eager and fearful eyes. There are many questions, and that one chief among them. What does it all mean? At this, I smiled. I had been asked this question, too, by every mortal I had ever met. It is a question older than mortality, older than Zeus and Cronus, and even Uranus himself. The man noticed my smile, and his eyes flashed in a sort of challenged temper I was not used to. What do you think it all means? This was the answer I always gave to those who asked. And to it, his features relaxed, and he put his hand on the back of his neck, curling sleek locks of blonde hair through his fingers. We walked through the city as it dissolved into darkness, listening to the sound of screams in the night fade slowly away. He seemed to realize all at once that we were ascending into the night sky, and he looked behind us, watching the dim light of the mortal plane flicker out. He tapped the divinely molded breastplate he wore with a finger thoughtfully and glanced back up to me. This armor, will I wear it forever? If you wish. Are we on our way to Olympus? We're going for a walk. I thought you'd like to clear your head a little before we got down to business. I like to give mortals a little time before I take them down below. Mortals. His eyes dropped to his feet like a child who's been scolded. You do know who I am. You are Pyrosus. Bathed in river Styx. Your mortality burned away by your mother. Or so it seemed. You are a hero worthy of Heracles. Son of Peleus. Student of Chiron. Achilles. The greatest of all the Greeks. Is that what you want to hear, child of Thetis? You know my mother. I know of her. I know of her Nerides. I know of her ambition and her hatred of the fates. She wanted me to be a hero. She wanted me to be a god. She wanted many things for you, brave Achilles. Where is she now? At Zeus's feet, I should think, begging on your behalf. Zeus owes my mother. She protected him. I've heard this story. I wonder if it's true. Wouldn't you know? He was staring at me now. His eyes were a deep and omniscient blue, piercing and all-encompassing as if there was nothing they did not see. I lifted my arm, and the black feathers which sprouted from it enveloped Achilles. 
He braced himself, as if he thought to fight them away, but they covered every inch of him, and when they parted and returned to me, his feet were on solid ground. Snow. He looked down. Fine white snow tumbled around his feet as they pressed into the pristine blanket that fell on the mountainside. We're on a mountain. We are on the mountain. We've arrived. He stared at me for a moment and then turned to look around. There was a vast ocean of stars above us, and below us, all of Greece. The wind howled and blew the scent of the far-off sea across our noses. He looked at me quizzically. You look... Yes? Well... He seemed sheepish, which didn't suit him. You look like a little girl... I made a sound in the bottom of my throat that seemed to embarrass him, and we stood in silence for a while and waited. After a little time, as the sun reached its zenith above us, our company arrived. He noticed them first, six figures in the distant crags of rock moving swiftly closer. Athena was leading them. Her eyes never left Achilles as she approached. Poseidon was next. I watched him closely, and when he noticed this, he smiled at me. His part in this war was perhaps the most meddlesome, and I wondered if he stuck so close to Athena for protection. I almost failed to recognize Apollo. His light was dim here, and the proud, condescending look that always sat on his face seemed foolish without his usual radiance. Ares and Aphrodite were next, each glaring at Achilles, not seeming to even realize I was there. Hera came last, her round, warm face brushed by a peacock's tail feather. She handed it to Achilles, who bowed deeply and accepted it, much to the silent derision of Aphrodite, whose malice was like a dark wind that forebodes a storm. Achilles held up the feather Hera offered him and stayed crouched down in the snow as the gods took their places on either side of him. I stepped back and found a perch on a rock nearby where I could observe quietly. Achilles must have noticed him first, because he stood up and peered past the six looming figures that surrounded him to stare at the old man trudging through the snow, leaning on a walking stick made of oak. The old man approached, and each god turned to acknowledge him. Zeus, said Achilles. The old man was tall and frail, his stern, angular face hidden by a great beard caked with snow. When Zeus turned to look at me, so did everyone else. You may go. I bowed my head, but did not move. If I may, I wonder if I might stay and watch. Zeus was wily, not as easily fooled as most gods are. 
myself included. He narrowed his eyes at me, and I felt the numb heat of his anger flutter on the crown of my head, but he relented. If you wish. He turned now to Achilles, who was still grasping Hera's gift, staring out at the distant, sacred night sky, distracted. Zeus spoke. Pythian, do you know who I am? Achilles turned and knelt down again as he had before, supplicant as a warrior of his skill and arrogance could resolve to be. You are Zeus, the cloud gatherer. Zeus seemed to grow taller with this acknowledgement, to tower above Achilles and the gods and even the mountain itself. The top of his head was a part of the night sky above, his white hair swirling and becoming storm clouds. Do you know why you are here with me now? Achilles looked around at the other gods, who averted their gaze, either out of disgust or embarrassment. He bowed his head and looked at the ground again before he spoke in a formal, princely voice. My mother Thetis is a god of the sea. She bathed me in the river Styx and made me immortal. And yet you are dead, prince. And yet I am dead. From my perch, I could see Apollo forcing down the smirk that threatened his lips. Zeus stroked the snow from his beard and let the silence penetrate everyone's thoughts. He looked around at each god each one staring forward at nothing in particular, standing on a ceremony which was unprecedented. Zeus knew his family well, knew our tempers, passions, and agendas better than any of us. That's what made him the king of the gods. You are the greatest warrior the mortal world will ever know. Zeus's eyes flashed in prickles of white lightning that danced around his face. He glared down at Achilles and grew taller. Your name will live forever, across land, ocean, and sky. Aristos Achaean, the best of the Greeks. Achilles Aspetos Pythias. Pyrasus. Save from fire. Indeed. Achilles turned his head to look at Apollo, who radiated a hateful, impetuous heat that the other gods separated to avoid. Athena was the first to speak as Zeus watched silently. Apollo, speak before the mountain burns. Apollo blinked, and the heat faded. He looked at me, and then Athena, visibly embarrassed, then turned to Zeus. This mortal has displeased and defied me at every available opportunity. His arrogance mocks the will of the gods. He knew the prophecy, knew his fate, and still he killed Hector, my champion. He is dead, dead like any other mortal, and I demand that he do what any mortal does when he dies. The very idea that he stands on this mountain offends me. Achilles' prophecy came true. He killed Hector and he died. That will forever be a part of his story, too. I wonder, said Apollo, 
how our reputation will fare against him if we anoint him, as you suggest. At this, Achilles rose to his feet and ripped the helmet off his head by the horsehair to glare at Apollo, who stared back and began to glow hot white. I could see the tears forming on Achilles' cheeks, but he refused to break his stare. Zeus picked up the helmet and held it to his face in the palm of his hand, considering it. The gifts of the gods should not so callously be discarded, Aristosachian. Achilles broke his glare and turned to Zeus and unclenched his jaw. I meant no disrespect to you or great Hephaestus. Zeus appeared an old man again, just barely as tall as Achilles' shoulder now. He stepped forward in the sun and handed Achilles his helmet back with frail, shivering hands. Achilles bent to a knee and took the helmet, placing it back on his head and then bowed. Zeus bent his back and whispered something to Achilles I couldn't hear. The other gods tried to lean in and hear without being noticed before Zeus straightened out and the six jolted backward. Achilles tucked his bent knee under himself and sat on his heels, clutching Hera's feather to his chest like a child with a foundling kitten. Zeus stroked his beard and looked around, at Apollo, still radiating with anger, and Athena, whose expressionless face seemed unusually tense, and at me. At me, he smiled, and at this I sprang to my feet. He grinned at me, and I felt that humming in the back of my neck again until he turned his eyes to Achilles once more and spoke. Quarreling with gods, even those as important and beloved as my son, is, if anything, an integral part of godhood, Achilles. We all took our sides in this war, all knew what the prophecies would bring, all saw them fulfilled, and now here you are among us to be remembered forever. What shall your story be, save from fire? There is no prophecy for what comes next, no destiny unfulfilled. You were born to a goddess whom I owe a great deal. You fought and killed and succumbed to fate like any man, but you are not any man. Even now they weep at your grave, even now your mother grieves for you when her name has faded from all the stories that keep us, from all the histories that make us truly immortal, you will still be there, etched in the souls of every mortal who ever knew anything about this age, these peoples, this war. Your name will rise above all the names of those who died in Troy. Achilles was perfectly still. What say you? Aristosachian. All were silent. Poseidon and Ares looked at one another, then at Zeus, who nodded to them both, as if permitting them something unspoken. Poseidon grinned at Apollo, who didn't seem to notice, then turned and walked up the mountain pass from which he came. Ares looked to Hera. The two shared a moment. Ares smiled, and then left. Achilles looked up at Athena, 
who considered him for a moment before clicking her tongue against her teeth and turning to go. At first I didn't understand what was happening, but then I heard Aphrodite giggling under her lips until her shoulders hunched and she couldn't contain the laughter any longer. She bowed her head back and cackled into the mountain air, and it rang out in echoes as she walked back up the mountain behind the others. Apollo and Hera turned to Zeus, who stood with his hands behind his back, watching Achilles stand up slowly, as if his mortal body still sore with the work of war held him. Hera didn't notice at first that Achilles was holding out the peacock feather she gave him, offering it back. When she did, her jaw tightened, and her eyes flared. She almost spoke, but couldn't articulate precisely what her thoughts were. Zeus grinned as she took it back. He turned then to me and beckoned me forward. I, of course, obliged. It's a good thing you stuck around, little one. Zeus laughed at his own joke, and I bowed, though truthfully I'm not sure why I stayed. What compelled me was beyond me. Apollo watched me like an intruder, suspicious as always of his father's mischief. Achilles turned to look at me as Zeus collected his son and wife under his arms like children, herding them under his legs and making them small. Achilles offered his hand to me. No mortal had ever done this, even those who wished for their deaths. It took me a moment to even recognize what he was doing. And when I did, I looked past him at Zeus, who was already walking up the mountain path with Apollo and Hera. Achilles turned his open palm and set it on my small, frail shoulder. His touch was warmer than fire, warmer than the sun, warmer even than Apollo's pride. Take me across the river, god of death. Take me to Tartarus. I cannot tell you the way we took. It is the oldest secret I know, and I must keep it. When we reached the river, the black mud glimmered with the reflection of a dusk that wasn't there. Achilles' sharp eyes noticed it, and he knew it for the cruelty it was, the reminder that there is a sun no one here will ever see again. His feet touched the edge of the river, and the shadows that clouded the water receded from him as if afraid. Karen, the boatman, was nowhere to be seen. From my cloak I produced a torch, which I held upside down. Its blue flames licked downward to Achilles' astonishment, and in its light he was able to make out the many faces which watched us, all around us in the black. He whirled around and reached for a sword at his hip which was not there. I placed my free hand on his shoulder and he looked at me, 
his eyes wide. Uncertainty did not become him. They're waiting for the boatman, here from the shores of Troy. Achilles looked around, scanning each face carefully. He stiffened at the sight of one face, and I held my torch up to see it more clearly. Hector's black eyes glimmered in my light, and his cold black lips quivered like he was trying to say something, to articulate a curse toward Achilles, who matched his gaze and spoke to the shade of his old foe in a cracked but stern voice. I'm not sorry I killed you, Hector of Troy. I will never forgive what you took from me. Hector's eyes flashed like coins in the pale light of my torch, and his form, such as it was, hummed with a kind of vengeance. Come, Pyrasus. I led Achilles to the shore. All the faces in the darkness stepped closer behind us, but retreated as we stepped into the river, which parted for us. And in the distant black void, glimmering by the light of my torch, Tartarus waited. The streets of Tartarus were cold and empty. It was a city of shadows, of lost memories. There were no homes, no markets, only columns and stepways that hold up more columns and stepways. A maze of cobblestone roads that wind around themselves, populated by shades who cower at the slightest light. There is food strewn everywhere. You cannot help but step on it as you make your way to the Hall of Hades. It never rots. It tastes of nothing. It is the memory of food. A trick to bind those who eat it to this place. Hades sat on his throne in the empty black hall at the center of the city. The flame of my torch reflected on the polished marble that made the floor. As we approached, Achilles removed his helmet and laid it at the feet of Hades, who rested his chin in his palm so that his great black beard flowed down his forearm. Thanatos! I bowed my head and tucked my torch into my cloak. When I lifted my eyes, Hades was leaning forward in his seat with his elbows on his knees, staring down at Achilles, who prostrated himself before the god of the dead his golden hair laying in tangles on the floor at Hades' feet. God of the underworld, I've come... I know why you've come, Hades interrupted. At this, Achilles lifted himself onto his knees and met the god's eyes. Hades seemed delighted by this and leaned back in his chair, a smirk hiding under his beard, but betrayed by his eyes which seemed to light the entire hall in his amusement. You've come for this. Hades stretched his hand, and in its palm, a black helmet. The helm of the Myrmidons. Your armor. The black armor of great Achilles, who has sent me so many souls. And out there on the other side of the river, more to come. Imagine what I thought when I realized that it wasn't you who great Hector had slain. With a grin, he plucked the helmet from his palm with his other hand and held it before Achilles, who stared in wonder 
as from its base grew the form of a man, a little too slender for this armor. The man's face, even hidden behind the helm, was beautiful, and when its form was complete and Hades released it to fall into Achilles' arms, he shook violently, overcome with the spasm of an emotion I could not articulate. Great king of Tartarus, I will do whatever it is I must in exchange for this soul. Achilles' voice was cracked and grieved. The tears that welled in his eyes surprised even Hades, whose smirk faded with each heaving sob between forced words. I have spent the last ten years filling your city with the souls of Trojans. My name will ring out in the world of men forever. And I would trade it all away for this soul. I will give myself to you, lead your armies against whatever nation or god you quarrel with, break Olympus itself to ruin in your honor for this one soul. I stood stunned, watching the vessel in the black armor's still form. Hades seemed thoughtful. He stroked his chin and considered this offer. Here was the greatest mortal who had ever lived, and on his knees before him. A fitting end, Hades must have supposed. When the god of the underworld finally spoke, it was a single word. Patroclus. At this word, the form in black armor jilted. Its chest heaved, and its shoulders hunched forward, as if it had been struck by a blow. The only sound in the hall was the breathing of it, heavy at first, and then steady. I could see under its helmet that life had returned to it. Its eyes glimmered first with awareness, and then in recognition of Achilles, whose quivering hands grasped it by the shoulders. Patroclus. The man in the black armor spoke. Achilles! Achilles, you're here! Yes. What happened? How could this have happened? This is a place for the dead. So it is. No. Not you. Not brave Achilles. You cannot die. You are immortal. Please, no. When you died, Patroclus, when you died, it all became so clear. I shook the sea with my grief. I laid with your corpse for three days before they took me from you. I set my wrath upon Hector and Troy, but it wasn't enough. I didn't care about the gods, or the war, or my mother, or the prophecy, or anything. Patroclus lunged forward and clasped his hands around Achilles' face. Their embrace set something in me I hadn't felt in a very long time. Something like guilt. I would have burned the whole world to be with you again, Patroclus. I would have fought forever in your vengeance. Forever. Patroclus kissed Achilles, and there was a shudder through the hall, a force alien to this place. I could see clearly for a brief moment the faces of mortal kings, each brought to the city by me, each granted no quarter by the god of this place. They watched these lovers and turned all to Hades, who seemed as worried as they were. 
Patroclus's voice was a whisper at first, but grew to teary pleading. You are a god, Achilles. Your prophecy is fulfilled. Your destiny is assured. Your place is on Olympus to be worshipped as divine. I'm nothing. Do not forsake your place in eternity for nothing. Achilles grasped Patroclus's arm tightly, and again the hall shuddered. I have spent my entire life considering my destiny, knowing my prophecy. I killed Hector, Patroclus. I killed him, and I desecrated his body before Apollo and all of Troy in vengeance for you. I forfeited my life at that moment gladly. But why? Because without you, I realized how little any of it mattered. The gods, they quarrel like men, are tricked like men. They fight and torment and anguish and all for what? For their glory? For their honor? What higher honor is there than godhood? What glory is not afforded the most divine? What peace is there in eternity if you spend it bickering like children? If you are as miserable as my mother. I went to Olympus. It is a cold and desolate mountain. I met the gods. They are small and petty children. I don't want any of it, Patroclus. It is a cruel joke. All of it. A trick on the gods played by the fates. And now I am free of it. At this, Hades stood, and the faces in the shadows bowed their heads and retreated into the blackness. I want you, Patroclus. I want you and nothing else. If my eternity is darkness, it will be a comfort if you are by my side. Hades stepped down from his throne and loomed over the two lovers. He crossed his hands behind his back and looked at me. I cannot describe the expression on his face. It was foreign to him as it is to me. Something like memory. It is harvest season, said Hades. At this the two men turned to face the god. He considered them, then looked out, past the hall's entrance to the river Styx, which could be seen from anywhere in Tartarus. Tell me what you wish and I will do it. Achilles' voice was strong again confident and focused, every bit Aristos Achaian. I know it. Hades was still staring off into the endless black void of his domain, wistfully. Our destinies are all beholden to fate, great Achilles. Our prophecies all come to pass, one way or another. That is what the stories are for, you see, to tell us this fact. Your story will be one of bravery, befitting any of the great heroes. But all heroes are tragic heroes, Aristos Achaian. Even Heracles never saw his wife and children again. He never got to hear them forgive him. Did you know that? Achilles was perfectly still, clutching Patroclus by the arm as if he could be stolen away at any moment. There are no satisfying endings down here, Achilles. 
Even my story does not have a happy end. Even I am beheld by the strands of the fates. I could feel Achilles tense his body. He rose to his feet as if to fight, and at this Hades smiled, dropped his hands, and letting them fall to his side. Still you would fight, eh? Fight me. Fight Thanatos. Fight Zeus and the fates themselves. Do you believe yourself a titan, little Greek? Achilles said nothing. His grip on Patroclus's arm loosened, and his eyes softened, tear-struck and red in the dim glow of the hall. It is the harvest, Achilles. The winter comes. Hades outstretched his arm, and there at the entrance to the hall came a patch of land. Off the horizon at the edge of the underworld, rising out of the river away from any soul or shade, there, barely perceptible, was the unmistakable waving form of grass. I did not know this place. I turned to Hades and realized the two men were gone. I blinked, and Hades turned to me, stroking his beard. Grass. Here? Hades nodded and pointed to the hall's entrance. That place is a secret to all, a secret you will keep. What is it? Why is it here? It is here for her. In a flash so great, it seared my eyes. A blade of light slashed the void and fell upon the patch of land, illuminating bright green grass, and of all things, a tree, great and tall and alive, sprouting red fruit, barely perceptible in the light that cleaved the abyss. I looked up, followed the blade of light into the eternity, and saw at its source a crack in the void filled by the shape of Persephone whose sorrowful face considered the shape of two men standing together under the tree, unbuckling their armor and embracing in a kiss, bathed in a warm shade I felt a great longing for. I turned to Hades, who smiled and held his closed fist out to me. I gave him my open palm, and in it he placed the black helm of the Myrmidons. I stared at it and did not notice Hades walking past me to greet his wife. The End For this story, I was inspired not only by Homer's account of the Trojan War, but by the story of Orpheus, who plunged himself into the underworld in order to retrieve his lover. As I contemplated the fate of Achilles and Patroclus, I felt myself wanting a happier ending so often denied the heroes of our favorite stories. As the pandemic raged through the spring and summer of 2020, with so much uncertainty, I found the books on my shelf left a longing for comfort. Not just for me, but for these characters who occupied my daydreaming as I haunted my little apartment.
Stephen Fry's trilogy of Greek mythology books, and Madeline Miller's novels Circe and A Song for Achilles prolonged my stay in ancient Greece, but that sense of longing wouldn't leave me until I wrote down the idea that became Thanatos and Troy. In a very real sense, Thanatos and Troy is a foray into fan fiction, the practice of writing new stories with established characters or worlds for no other purpose than wanting those scenarios to play out in your own head and for an audience of fellow fans. I'll be honest, as I developed this podcast project, along with it developed an aversion to covering the Greek canon. It's been done so many times by so many people for so long, I didn't know if I could add anything to it. However, this story was so important to fertilizing the idea that became Breakfast with Gilgamesh that it seemed appropriate to bring it into the living project as it is now. This story was also published on my website, zkleverton.com, and there is an attached piece of artwork for this story by the eminent Sam Beck, both there and included in this podcast episode's notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash breakfastwithgilgamesh. You can find me on Twitter at GilgameshPod, and on Facebook as Breakfast with Gilgamesh. A special thanks to Sam Beck, who designed my logo, Thomas Holden, who composed the music you heard throughout, and to all the friends and partners involved in this project. Next episode, a tour through the zoo of the imagination. This is Breakfast with Gilgamesh. <laughs>